The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Goodnight Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Goodnight Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Goodnight Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Woo! What is that sound there? Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Marilyn Monroe. Well, we've been off a few weeks, and boy, do we have some shout-outs. Aria in Boston, Massachusetts. Tony in London. Michael in Great Falls, Montana, Kelly in Billingham, Washington, Eric in Chicago, Illinois, Suki in Tokyo, Japan, Ava in San Francisco, Michelle in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Vanessa, who also gave us a wonderful testimonial in Baltimore, Maryland. She says that uh, I have such an admiration and awe of the Goodnight Maryland shows. I've always adored her, and it's been so exciting to listen to. They are intriguing and so addicting. Well, they couldn't be that addicting without my panel of uh, my guest uh, panelists because they know more about her, just uh, just about more about her than anybody in the world. Joining us is licensed mental health counselor and best-selling author Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, volumes one and two. I highly suggest out of all of the, the biographies that are out there that really get into the depth, you know if you've been listening to the Goodnight Marilyn radio shows, this man is a walking encyclopedia. It tells it like it is without a lot of sensationalism, so I highly recommend his book. Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz, who's been uh, with Immortal Marilyn since 1998 and has been studying Marilyn for over 25 years. And David Marshall, David has uh, taken quite a task of organizing and presenting a year's worth of online discussions based on Marilyn Monroe's last days in the book, The DD Group, an online investigation into the death of Marilyn Monroe. Highly recommend that book as well because it gives you all of the the different, kind of like what we're doing here on the radio show, but in online and written form, the discussions of what might have happened to Marilyn back in August of 1962. And we also have Immortal Marilyn's Mary Jane Gray, who will chime in with her years of experience. I call her Miss Research because she is exactly that. She, she takes to things on a factual basis. And I just want to take the time to congratulate 
her on one of the best and thorough interviews in asking the right questions to Dr. Cyril Weck, who is also going to be part of our real-life investigation team uh, and uh, part of the new investigative reality TV series called The Investigation Room. She did an outstanding job in breaking down and getting to the core of some of these pathology questions. So I highly recommend that you go to Immortal Maryland's website and check it out. Uh, I just want to give a little bit of a tidbit, if I can find it here, in my notes um, from from the interview, and it kind of speaks to some of the things that are these lurking questions. Uh, Mary Jane says, uh, why do you think the manner of death was designated a probable suicide? Do you know any other cases listed as a probable suicide? And Dr. Weck says, I've never seen a probable suicide on a death certificate. You can express concern or doubt or hesitation, but science is dogmatic and rigid. If it's probable, written on a death certificate, it means undetermined. You check a box that says natural, accidental, suicide, homicide, undetermined. When you don't know the manner of death for sure, you mark it undetermined. You hear my three or four times he says that. I've never seen a probable suicide on a death certificate. When they've attempted to get the records, the info, this means, you know, everybody, they've remained sealed. If it's a suicide, it's a suicide. You can cry, scream, yell. You can attack people for not treating her right. But from an official government standpoint, what basis do they have to say we're going to keep the records? What are you withholding? What's going on? Suicide is suicide. John Belushi, Heath Ledger, those were all accidental deaths. I've never seen another case where it's been marked probable. So with that said, uh, I highly recommend that you go to the Immortal Maryland's uh, website, check out her her thorough interview with him. I'm also going to recommend that you go to the Goodnight Maryland website and check out the petition tab. Most of you who have been listening to this radio show know that we have a petition going on. It's in a uh, two-tier platform in that we are inviting the Los Angeles officials to reopen the case. On the first tier is what what he speaks about, which is the Mary Jane asked the question, probable suicide. Let's change the verdict from probable suicide to either accidental or undetermined. And the second part of it is really what is the more complex part, which we'll be talking about today, which really deals with what's the cover-up all about? We don't really know at this point, and we're going to try to connect those dots over the coming weeks in this season two, another 13 weeks of this show. We are going to get to some core. Even today, we're going to bring some light to light some of the issues that we know to be true. So uh, another thing I want to, before we get started, very exciting stuff happening. Goodnight Maryland will be holding a press conference on Maryland's 89th birthday. That's June 1st. This Monday at 11 a.m. at the legendary Formosa Cafe in West Hollywood, one of Marilyn's hangouts during the filming of Some Like It Hot. She was filming just right next door at the, which is called the the lot right now. It was the Warner Brothers lot at the time. Uh, and so we will be introducing the real-life investigation team and their goals in reexamining the case. The announcement of the Goodnight Marilyn film and crew, details of the worldwide global search for Marilyn, which will include the the actresses that will be going to the second round of auditions. If you have not uh, submitted your your audition tape, you certainly can do that. We're going to extend it 
for a period of time, probably till the end of June. Our director is out uh, filming to Budapest, and some of you have asked, is there any way that I can submit? Sure, you can submit. You'll have a little bit more time. Or if some of the actresses want to resubmit, uh, some of you that have been submitting from foreign countries wanted to work on your accent, I, I want to encourage you to go ahead and resubmit. We'll extend it. But for those of you who have made it to the second round, we'll be announcing you. And then we'll also have some tribute artists uh, from, from Maryland Tribute Artists. It'll be a fun celebration. We're going to invite all of you who are in the Los Angeles area to come out and join us and uh, welcome and uh, support Marilyn on her 89th birthday, wherever she is. So uh, thank you, all of you. I also want to say thank you to Mike uh, Surgit, our engineer, Drew Masters, our talent booker, our new addition to the team, Haley, who has uh, started with us over the summer, and Randall Libera, our executive producer, who will also be uh, out uh, with us at the Formosa Cafe. And also want to say thank you to the Formosa Cafe, Vince over there, who's the owner of the Formosa, and Eileen Koch and her team over there. Uh, Jessica, Joey, and Drew could not do this uh, event without you. So with that, let's get started. Boy, was that a mouthful. So I'd like to introduce uh, the panel. Hi, Gary, Mary Jane, Leslie, and David. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi, Nina. Nina. (laughs) Well, welcome back to the Goodnight Maryland radio show. We are talking about the last day of her life. As you know, we kind of uh, left it in a very important uh, time period last time. We we uh, we got to the six o'clock call, uh, you know, with uh, Ralph Roberts and Dr. Greenson being there. Dr. Greenson leaves the home. He talks. Uh, she talks to uh, Joe DiMaggio Jr. And so let's start to pick up from that time period of what was going on at that time. So she she gets off the phone with Joe DiMaggio Jr. What happens next, Leslie? Uh, well, we have uh, we have Peter Lawford stating that she then uh, had he had called again to invite her once again to his dinner party, and that she sounded um, drugged to him and refused to come. Uh, and this is the time where it gets a little a little difficult to be sure who really spoke to her and who didn't, because you have a few other people who claim to have spoken to her. But we know from the autopsy and from what Dr. Wecht had said that the latest time of death we're looking at is by 9 p.m. So we know that in this time, something has changed drastically and that Marilyn's life is right near the end. Uh, so this is, this is really the time where it becomes a very interesting to examine the phone calls. Yeah, and let's let's go over those phone calls. We we touched on it last time, but I think it gets very complicated because there's so many different books out there, and there's so many different opinions of who she was talking to, who wasn't she talking to. Uh, Gary, who was she really talking to during that time? Well, we know she was talking to Joe DiMaggio Jr. Marilyn had retired to her room when he called for, I think, the third time that day, and Eunice Murray summoned her at the door. She came out of her bedroom and took the call in her dressing room. They spoke for maybe 15, 20 minutes. He announced that he was um, no longer um, going to be married. She was supportive of that decision, and she um, said goodnight to Mrs. Murray. I think she put um, her dog, Moff Honey, to bed in the guest house, and um, she retired to her room. We know a next, the next phone call that comes through to the house 
is after Marilyn has retired to her room, Mrs. Murray is now spending the night in what Marilyn uses as the dressing room. And um, Milton Rudin, her, the attorney, who is brother-in-law to the psychiatrist, Dr. Greenson, calls to check on, on Marilyn. And Eunice Murray does not go through the hallway to answer the phone. She goes through the Jack and Jill bedroom. Um, and Milton Rudin apparently is very vague in what he asks. He doesn't indicate an alarm. So Mrs. Murray doesn't take the extra effort to check on Marilyn, just says that, that she's retired and she seems okay. All right, um, let's, 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 uh, I would like to, if we could, I want to play a clip from Eunice Murray, because you're, you're talking about a very important part, and I want to hear what she has to say, and let's keep addressing what, uh, what uh, this discussion is talking about. If we can uh, cue up that uh, Eunice Murray clip, that would be great. So, of course, I was alarmed. I called Dr. Greenson. I went around to the front of the house before Dr. Greenson arrived. Turning the curtains back, I saw Marilyn lying on the bed, nude, and I was just alarmed. So when you hear that clip, right, that's a little further down the road, but let's start to fill in from the time that she calls Dr. Greenson to what you just said. Gary, keep going. Um, well, she, she claims to have um, gone, gone to bed and um, arises sometime in the middle of the night. And, um, you know, we, we first heard her, uh, we know of her phone call to Dr. Greenson, which is around 3.30. But the police report does state that um, she, she arose earlier than that. It doesn't specify the time and that Marilyn didn't rouse and that there was a delay, and she went back to the door again at 3.30. So this has always been um, murky. And okay. what was the first point that, that Murray became concerned? And, you know, I was watching an old episode of In Search Of, uh, done in the 70s with uh, Leonard Nimoy. And Mrs. Murray actually, as early as the 70s, makes the reference to being concerned about midnight. So that really wasn't the earth-shattering um, revelation during the Anthony Summer investigation, which was almost 10 years later. Well, this um, is very interesting. So let's, let's, let's uh, kind of break it down because we're saying a lot of information here. So we go from the 9 o'clock hour, right, of, of you, know, um, you know, what Leslie was talking about. Is there anybody else before we move on, Mary Jane, that she was talking to that kind of speaks to before we know that, uh, you know, everybody's alarmed. Is there, besides Joe DiMaggio Jr., is there anybody else and Ralph Roberts that she calls, is there anybody else that we can confirm that she actually spoke to that night? Um, Peter Lawford says he spoke to her around uh, sometime between 8 and 8.30, and that's when he became alarmed because uh, her voice was slurring and she was kind of fading out. And that does sound plausible. Um, and then, of course, there's a count of Ralph Roberts answering service that a woman called at about 8.30, but she was unintelligible. That also sounds very plausible. Other than that, there's no credible claims of other phone calls. There's a lot of people who have made claims of being the last person she spoke to or tried to call, um, but when you look at their accounts, they don't add up. They say, oh, she called at 10 o'clock. Well, we know she couldn't have done that. 
So it's it's Peter Lawford and Ralph Roberts would and, be the last two. And David, um, from your you know all the discussions that you've had online, is there anybody else that you know of that could be credible in regards to who she spoke to? Well, we know she spoke to Dr. Greenson again. That's the one thing tonight that we've we've left out yes. of. Uh, after the Joe DiMaggio call, Marilyn then calls Dr. Greenson. So basically before uh, before whatever, the, however the overdose occurred, the last person I believe that she spoke to was Dr. Greenson. Okay. So we have Joe DiMaggio. We have that she put in a call to Ralph Roberts. And we have a, uh, a call into Dr. Greenson, which... Everybody believes on this panel was the last person that she spoke to besides Peter Lawford? Yes. Okay. And, yes. and there was a significant conversation. She asked Greenson if he had taken her prescription bottle for Nembutal, and he said that he did not. He and said Mrs. That he... Murray's memoir um, speculates if Marilyn had found that prescription in the, in the, in the dressing room that it wasn't on her bedside table at that point where the doctor had had his session with her earlier in the day. So where would it have been? Um, that she found it? That, that it might have been in, in, the, in the room where she took the, the, the phone call from DiMaggio Jr. And, and the room in which she also made the call to Greenson. Wow. Okay, so uh, before we hit the break, and I know I'm, I'm reiterating this because this is an important part, because I can't tell you how many books I've read that you have at least three to five people in that hour time frame that are saying that they've talked to Marilyn. So what we have right now, guys, and this is, this is being confirmed by four Marilyn experts, unless somebody can come forward with some proof, some proof, that Marilyn actually spoke to other people. We have Joe DiMaggio, Jun- Joe DiMaggio Jr. We have that she spoke to Peter Lawford. We have that she called um, Ralph Roberts' line. And we also know that um, she called Dr. Greenson and had an in-depth conversation and asked where her nebutal was. So with that, we're going to continue the conversation and we get back from the break. I want to really get into this uh, whole thing with Dr. Engelberg and really what she was being prescribed as we continue the conversation on Goodnight Maryland Radio, the last day of Maryland's life. We'll be back in just a moment. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film Goodnight Marilyn. 
Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well, I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well, first of all, we're looking for somebody with great acting chops. And then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want to find the shy, sensitive, um, very personal and, and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com, and hopefully we'll see you in the movies. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. And of course, she was supposed to take a few every night. But even if she took all at once, it's problematic that that was a, a fatal dose. We try to keep it down uh, and, rather, and give her the Nimbutol more frequently in smaller amounts. As I happened to talk to her on the phone that night, earlier in the evening, and she was happy in an manic phase. So I thought her mental state was good. She sounded cheerful. Apparently something happened to suddenly depress her. Peter Lawford got a call from Marilyn. And she was mumbling. Apparently she was going under from the pill she took and perhaps was calling him as, as a cry for help. He didn't run over. He called. He was the one who then called Mickey Rudin to tell Mickey Rudin that he'd had this call and Marilyn sounded funny and with Mickey check and that's when Mickey called the housekeeper. Dr. Greenson got there first. She was dead when he got there. And I went into the bedroom and made sure she was dead. There was some rigor mortis, yes, but it wasn't extreme yet. I suspected that she'd been dead at least a few hours. I believed she was in a manic phase and that something happened to suddenly depress her and she grabbed pills there. That She had plenty of pills at this bedside. I think she was suddenly depressed and in that sense it was intentional. Then I think she thought better of it when she was felt herself going under because she called Peter Lawford. So while it was intentional at the time, I do believe that she changed her mind. At the side of her bed, there was a lot of secondol, which I had never given her. Also, the autopsy showed that her liver had a lot of chloral hydrate. I never gave her chloral hydrate, and I don't think any doctor in the United States gave it to her. She must have bought it in, in Tijuana. 
Well, there you go. Good night, Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. My guest panelists are Gary Vitaco Robles, Mary Jane Gray, Leslie Kaspirowitz, and David Marshall. We are all talking about the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. That was a very significant piece of information. We'll get to the discussion in just a moment. But uh, Mary Jane, uh, as you know, you started this. We are doing the Marilyn uh, misquote, not the quote, but the misquote. What is your Marilyn misquote? quote for this week? Oh, this is a big one. And what is probably the most popular misquote is, I'm selfish, impatient, and a little insecure. I make mistakes. I'm out of control and at times hard to handle. But if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. That one is all over the place. But where we can't find it is anywhere during Marilyn's lifetime. (laughs) It's not recorded by any source. And the most important thing to remember is quotes have a source. Somebody recorded it an interview, a a press conference, even an anecdote from her friend. Um, This one only started appearing on the Internet in the last decade or so. And if we really look at it, it's completely out of character for her. It doesn't sound like her personality at all. There's no other examples of her calling herself selfish or out of control or anything similar. Um, She acknowledged her issues as being late or failure to show up on the set or being difficult to work with, but she wasn't defiant about it. She would always be plaintive and offer reasons for her flaws in the hopes that she could get sympathy. She didn't have this you-can-go-to-hell attitude about it. So this is definitely a fake quote. It's a great quote, but not from Marilyn Monroe, the wonderful misquote. And that's another way of us, uh, you know, telling what is fact and what is fiction in, in the quotes. And some of them I've been blown away by. So thank you so much for that. And our life bite of the week. Many of you don't know why I do a life bite. Well, you know, I'm doing this uh, radio show and the radio show is all about Marilyn's life. Well, I have a company called Life Bites and we usually take entertainment and we talk about it as it relates to life transforming and getting people to think about their life. So I'm doing this with Marilyn, but I do this as well with everybody. So I'd like you to think about this for this week. You know, it happened to me. This is this is my life bite for the week. I knew I was in trouble when I got called out by not living my motto. If you call my voicemail, I'll always have a little life bites inspirational message. And this week it says, I will, I can, I am. Well, I had to make a call that I knew was not going to be easy. I had been postponing it and procrastinating for several weeks now. Drew, who works with me as our talent booker, among other things, says to me, hey, Nina, what's up? You're not living your motto. What happened to I will, I can, I am? Isn't that the code you're telling everybody else to live by? Well, busted. I feel like uh, I was the little engine that could. I will, I can, I am. The great thing about that comment to me is it made me get to the call. So sometimes you need that little motivation or encouragement or even being called out to get into action. So if you're wanting to to do something and you're procrastinating for whatever the reason, maybe you need to employ the little engine that could mentally and get going. So I can happily say, and you can too, if this is what you need to do, you would say now, and this is what I am saying, I could, I did. And it's done. So on that note, let's get back to the panel uh, conversation. This is really big, guys. Most of you, um, some of you, uh, I know the Maryland fans that really follow um, really what happened to her, uh, know that this uh, this is big news. But Dr. Engelberg in that last clip said, 
I never gave her chloral hydrate. He says that in his own words. However, we know that is not to be true. Um, And in our last discussion, right before the break, uh, we talked about who Marilyn was talking to. David, uh, you want to mention a couple of things that I think are important in regards to that time frame between eight and nine o'clock. So, uh, what uh, what other things do you have to uh, to uh, you know uh, give us in this conversation? Well, I just wanted to point out. I mean, one of the purposes of this show and any study of Maryland's last evening, uh, you need to create a timeline and try to make the times as a uh, not approximate. Uh, a lot of people's memories can fade, even when it's something as important as their last conversation with Marilyn. But there are two calls that do actually lock in the timing. Uh, one is the phone call to Mickey Rudin. He wasn't available, but his answering service was, and they logged the call in. I think it was 825. Uh, the second call it comes from a woman with a slurred voice. Uh, that was to Ralph Roberts' answering service, and that came in at 8.30. Uh, Roberts later said that the only people who knew uh, the number that was called for his answering service, Marilyn was one of the very few, and uh, if I remember correctly, the only uh, woman who was not already uh, accounted for elsewhere that evening. Um, so we're pretty sure that that call did come from Marilyn. That's at 8.30. All right. And uh, Gary, uh, can you tell us uh, specifically in terms of time frames, uh, what David just mentioned in terms of, uh, you know, what we're talking about here, too? Sure. Robert Byron, the investigating officer, documents um, that uh, Milton Rudin uh, re- received the phone call um, at 8.30 when it was uh, relayed to him by his answering service. He was at a dinner party. And at 8.45, he called another Milton, Milton Evans who was with Peter Lawford, and um, he was the one who expressed the concern and asked Rudin to make the call to Marilyn's house because he had access to the phone number. He was Dr. Greenson's brother-in-law. So, um, uh, can, we, Milton, can we... Can we, before you carry on, because that gets confusing for people. I know it was very confusing for me. There's two Miltons. There's Will two you discern? Miltons. Yeah. Can you discern yeah, again Milton for Evans people? Milton Evans is um, Robert, or, or, Peter Lawford's um, house guest that evening for dinner and his business manager, Milton Evans. Milton Rudin is also a friend of his, but he's also Marilyn's attorney, and Milton Rubin is also Dr. Greenson's brother-in-law. So this wow. is a conversation between the two Miltons um, at, at respective parties. And so it is close to 9 o'clock now when Milton Rudin actually reaches Mrs. Murray and in very vague terms checks on Marilyn's status, uh, but doesn't indicate that there's an alarm. And so um, Mrs. Murray states that, that, that Marilyn is fine, and in her um, memoir, she does indicate if he had only uh, indicated to me that, that he was worried and concerned, she would have made an extra effort to check on Marilyn, which she did not. Okay, that in itself is a whole nother, we have to get into that conversation because that one is just still, does does not sit well with me. Mary Jane, uh, can we go over just for people that are following the timeline because there's a lot of calls and a lot of things happening during this. Can we kind of reiterate how the call process went? 
Uh, the the call process between in terms of between <laughs> you know you not the Miltons but you know starting from Joe DiMaggio Jr. get the call oh. order and right so people that are following the timeline really know specifically what was going on during that time. Okay, the call from Joe DiMaggio Jr. was from around seven to seven fifteen p.m. Um, she called Dr. Greenson, what we believe is immediately following that, and was, I mean, I'd say likely off the phone by him, with him by about quarter to eight, eight o'clock. And then the phone calls to Lawford and Ralph Roberts Answering Service were now nearing closer to 8.30. Okay. So we've got those specific uh, time frames, and that's who she's talking to. And then as we get into, you know, Rudin and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Ibbins being called, right, um, let's pick up. So, so all of a sudden about 8.30, um, you know, these calls are happening. We know uh, in terms of the pathology, as we, as if you go to Immortal Maryland's uh, website and check out uh, Mary Jane's interview with uh, Dr. Cyril Weck, we know the pathology that Marilyn died somewhere between, is it 8 and 8.30, Mary Jane? Uh, yes. Okay, around so around there, you know, no later than 9 p.m., right? Right. So one of the most disturbing questions is, how is it that she goes from a relatively happy mood to all of a sudden taking all these pills? Leslie, what's your comment on that? Um, I, that's, that's, that's all conjecture. I don't think anybody knows what might have changed in her that night. Um, as Gary has pointed out multiple times with mental illness, I mean, just about anything can trigger a change in mood. Uh, there's no actual diagnosis of any specific mental illness. Um, but there's been some, you know, conjecture now looking back on Marilyn's history that she may possibly, um, have been bipolar or suffered from borderline personality disorder. But I think Gary is the bigger expert expert on the mental health side of things, so I would turn that to him. All right, uh, Gary, any comments on that? Well, I, I think we can safely say that Marilyn experienced major depressive episodes um, during her life, um, uh, going back to um, the, the early 50s, I think worsening um, in the mid-50s. I, I think she does meet the criteria for a major depressive illness, um, and she does ha- meet the criteria for uh, a borderline personality disorder. Um, when so, what I does consult- that mean to what does that mean to the average person that may be listening? I ask the question: How can somebody go from happy to sad or to a depressive suicide state in a matter of minutes? Um, well, the, the whole thought about about Marilyn and being in perfect spirits—that you know—that might not be um, accurate. To say, you know, we do know that she was she was really uh, under very close monitoring and supervision the last 24 hours of her life, with um, Patricia Newcomb being there and then being relieved by Dr. Greenson, and then Dr. Greenson placing her in the hands of Dr. Murray. So we know that she was irritable and agitated. Um, I I have mixed feelings about the phone call to Joe Jr. because I think uh, Marilyn protected him and loved him. And if it is true that she was um, depressed and suicidal, um, I don't think she would have uh, wanted him to feel guilt. I think she probably could have faked it in a 15-minute phone call to her stepson. So I, t- I take that with a, with a grain of salt. Um, okay. 
Dr. And Greenson says that, that, you know, he found her depressed and sedated. So, you know, there is, there is a lot of information to support the depression. Okay. And then, David, any, any feedback for us on this one? I just want to add that Gary brought up a really good point. Uh, so much has been emphasized on Marilyn being in this buoyant, wonderful mood with the Joe DiMaggio. Um, and yet we know that her day had not been one of the best, that she had been in a very depressive state, uh, had had arguments with Pat Newsom, uh, Newcomb, and uh, Greenson had been called in and had spent many hours with her that day. I, too, have a tendency to believe, but have no proof, so it is conjecture or, uh, you know, my own thoughts, that she was very protective of Joe Jr., and I think she really wanted to show him how excited she was in his good news, something that he was excited about, and so did project a really, a really good mood. Um, but I think that was for his benefit. I'm sure she was pleased with it. But what has always intrigued me is then she turns around, she calls Dr. Greenson, she is sharing good news with him, and something maybe minor, maybe major, who knows? I would love to know exactly what the conversation was between the two of them. Because immediately after she speaks with Dr. Greenson, she returns to her bedroom, closes the door, and that's the last anybody sees her. The next time we hear from her, she's with uh, speaking with Lawford and is saying goodbye and is already, uh, the effects of the overdose are, are already occurring. Is there anything in Dr. Greenson's records that talk about that last phone call? It's a letter to Dr. Marion Chris in, in New York, Maryland's psychotherapist in New York. And he does say to Dr. Chris that Marilyn was extremely annoyed by him, um, but that they had this conversation and, and they had agreed to speak together in the morning. But he does indicate a level of agitation in Marilyn directed towards him. All right. Mary Jane, anything you want to add to the conversation before you take a break? Oh, gosh, there's a lot, actually. Okay, um, go ahead. But uh, I, I would think on this line of discussion, the biggest thing that I always was a little odd to me was that Greenson was there in a very long session with her all day. He'd asked Eunice Murray to stay the night and keep, you know, keep an eye on her. I find it very curious that nothing in that conversation alarmed him or alerted him to something going on with her, and then very quickly after the conversation, she died. When you think that he's, you know, a mental health professional, a psychiatrist, and I mean, again, I'm just a layperson, but I would just think that, you know, if she was that bad off, and he does write that she was annoyed or upset with him why nothing further was done and a few minutes later she was dying exactly that's all that that that, there's something about this this time period right now that does not add up it doesn't add up with dr greenson it doesn't certainly add up with dr engelberg which we're going to talk about uh after the break as well in terms of on tape saying he never ever prescribed her chloral hydrate we now know that that is not the truth. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We'll be back in just a moment as we continue the conversation. (music) 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Mad Genius Radio presents Marilyn. For those of us who can't get enough of Marilyn Monroe, especially her iconic musical performances, Mad Genius Radio has expertly curated a genre of hundreds of tracks performed by Marilyn and friends. It is the quintessential collection of music for a journey of glamour, grace, and allure. Listen for free only on Mad Genius Radio. Available in the App Store, Google Play, and desktop at madgeniusradio.com. Hi, my name is Nina Bosky, and I'm the lead producer on the feature film Goodnight Marilyn. Do you have what it takes to play the iconic Marilyn Monroe? Well, I have our director here with us, Drew Ann Rosenberg, and she's going to tell you exactly what she's looking for. Drew? Well, first of all, we're looking for somebody with great acting chops, and then we want a Marilyn who can bring that movie star sex symbol magnetism to screen. But there's another side of Marilyn that we want to find. We want to find the shy, sensitive, um, very personal, and, and twinkly girl who everybody loved on a private level as well. So if you have those two sides to you, you might just be our Marilyn. So if you have what it takes or you know somebody that does, go to goodnightmarilyn.com and find out all the details. That's goodnightmarilyn.com, and hopefully we'll see you in the movies. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Good Night Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. You're listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. Today's theme, Marilyn, her last day. My guest... Immortal Marilyn's Leslie Kasperowitz, Mary Jane Gray, best-selling author Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the lifetimes and films of Marilyn Monroe, volume one and two, David Marshall, the DD Group, an online investigation into the death of Marilyn Monroe, which is also a book. Highly recommend those two books. Let's get back we to the conversation, but we have a caller, Mark from Chicago. Hi, are you there? Mark? Hi, Nina. Hi, how are you? Hi, I want to say uh, I love Marilyn. Good night, Marilyn Radio. I'm so happy you're back online this week. Uh, and uh, my uh, my comment is about um, Gene Carmen, a friend a friend of uh, Marilyn, who uh, appeared on she appeared on Larry King and said that she actually got a call from Marilyn, and Marilyn had asked her for some sleeping pills, so she didn't believe that Marilyn had enough sleeping pills there. Uh, to commit suicide that night. 
Wow. Well, that that certainly has been a, a big discussion point here on Goodnight Maryland Radio. Um, we certainly don't know in terms of, of um, you know, specifics, but we do know um, uh, some things in terms of that call happening or not happening. Gary, I'll start with you. Do you want to address that? Well, we know that Maryland had um, quite a significant amount of medication um, to have been lethal. So Maryland certainly didn't need to um, import anything from what was available in her home. Yeah, and what you're going to hear, Mark, is that uh, there is certainly not a need. Um, when you look at, and we're going to talk about the the uh, medications that she actually had at her house, there would absolutely be no reason for her to be asking for sleeping pills. So that's not necessarily um, something that she would have been asking of Jeannie Carmen or anybody else that night, and we're going to get into that uh, right now. So thank you so much for the call, and thank you for listening to, to Goodnight Maryland. This is certainly, we couldn't do this show without you. You. So thanks a lot. Well, Nina, thank yeah. you for everything you're doing for Maryland. And uh, I think the Good Night Maryland movie is going to be phenomenal. Oh, well, thanks for calling. And uh, we really appreciate it and hope to hear from you again sometime. Okay. Okay. All the best. All right. So let's get back into the discussion because this is this, you know, it's the medications. It's the clip I've been playing. I played about uh, Dr. Engelberg. So let's go over it. Why am I saying that? That uh, that Dr. Engelberg is saying that he never prescribed it, and yet Mary Jane, we know that's not true. What's some of the medications here? Oh, the medications. Okay, I um, put together a a compilation of what Marilyn was prescribed from June seventh to August third. In that time period, she was prescribed nearly eight hundred pills, with <sighs> over seven hundred of them being barbiturates. Just let that sink in. Over 700 barbiturates in a two-month period from someone who was claiming that he was trying to wean her off barbiturates. Exactly. Um, In that clip you played earlier, he said that uh, there was a bunch of secondol on her nightstand. There was no secondol on her nightstand, although he did prescribe some for her on July 10th, but it was only 25 um, and another thing to note, there was no second all found in the toxicology report. She did not take any of the things she died. Um, what I find especially alarming is his adamant claim that he never prescribed chloral hydrate for her and tries to imply that she went to Mexico to get it, which not only puts her in a poor light, it's also an outright lie. He prescribed her 50 chloral hydrates on July 25th and then another 50 chloral hydrates on July 31st. Oh. And he gave her oh. 100 on June 7th. Yes, and he did. And the prescription went to um, auction at Julian's. So now we can see it on the Internet. Okay, so Maryland fans, okay, if you're listening, okay, this is really big here because you have somebody in his own words, a doctor, telling the public that he never prescribed the medications he did, but specifically chloral hydrate, which is one of the reasons why Marilyn has passed. This is this is this is not to be taken lightly, um, because it really does indicate the fact. And we have the prescription in his own writing, basically saying all those dates, you know, from June seventh to July. Th- I mean, and why in the world, guys, is he prescribing? 
uh, two doses of chloral hydrate back to back when he is saying that he is uh, weaning her off. And, and a big concern is that he prescribes it on um, 7.25, and there's a refill for 7.31. And oh. um, it's for the amount of 50 pills. So I don't know what um, pharmacy practices were in 1962, but to get a refill six days later, um, I, uh, right? And in, in today's world, that would not happen. But even in uh, 1962, I, I wonder if that requires a, a physician's uh, validation or permission to do that. Well, even Mary Jane, in your interview with Dr. Cyril Weck, he addresses that as well, right? Uh, yeah, he um, had said that they, it's, it's a different world now. He said that um, there weren't necessarily safeguards in place back then, but he also agrees that um, Dr. Engelberg should have been held accountable for this and that had this happened today, he would have been indicted wow. for I medical mean, negligence. Well, and that's, you know, also when you start talking about, you know, did somebody intentionally commit suicide, right? And somebody that is potentially naively uh, following doctor's orders and yeah, they're asking for it, but the doctors are giving it to them, uh, giving it to her. That just seems really, um, you know, uh, not, not, uh, not ethical. And not only that, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting is where Dr. Greenson, you know, kind of plays into this. Is he not aware of all these medications? Well, Greenson didn't write any of the prescriptions that we've found. They're all Engelberg's. Although the two knew each other well and had known each other for a very long time, uh, it's hard to see how much communication they would have had in terms of a medication. Today, of course, doctors tend to work in teams and everything's electronic and recorded and everyone knows who's getting what, but I'm not sure that it was as well recorded back then. I still have difficulty hey. believing that Greenson didn't know, though. Okay, and, and we have a call. Morgan from uh, California, um, she has a question for us. Morgan, hi. 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 What question do you have for us? Um. So people say that Dr. Greenson and Dr. Engelberg were consulting each other on her medication. Is that true? Uh, well, that's a very good question because we just started bringing up Dr. Greenson. So were they consulting with each other? Was this something that, you know, two doctors got together and they decided that they were going to wean her off this medication? What, what was going on in regards to them? You know, you just said that they knew each other, but were they? I mean, that just seems really odd that, a, you know, a, a psychiatrist and a doctor were not consulting, especially when you're talking a psychological issue and a medical issue. Uh, it, does anybody want to jump in on that one? Well, we know that Greenson wanted to titrate Marilyn from the barbiturates and believed that she was no longer taking the Nembutal and that it was being replaced with some other medications, such as uh, Phenergan. Um, uh, however, Engelberg was still prescribing it, and um, they were supposed to be consulting. And um, some of the uh, excuses that we've heard over the years is that Engelberg was having uh, personal problems and going through a divorce, and so he um, was a bit negligent in that area. And we know that there was, con- there was a public outcry to his prescribing practices, even back in 62, where some members of the, um, the, the country club actually roughed him up uh, in the locker room directly following Marilyn's death. So um, at least the word had gotten on the street um, uh, of his uh, prescribing practices. 
Well, that's, that's uh, you know, when you start looking at that and the doctors playing a role, uh, if not directly, indirectly, obviously, with, with, her, with her death and what was going on on that day. So, um, you know, so if she had access, you know, uh, Mary Jane, you know, you talk about all these, you know, drugs from, you know, Librium to chloral hydrate to, uh, I think it's Redisol. I mean, there's all this stuff. Balamid or something like I don't even know if I'm saying them right. Mm-hmm. Second all, right? All these, all these different medications. Were they? You know, when you look at the 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 scenes in her bedroom, there's all these medications right there by her bed. Were they all there? I mean, were all these medications right there by her bed? Um, well, the police itemized uh, what was on the nightstand, and there were two bottles of Librium. One had 27 capsules in it. One had 17 capsules in it. Uh, there was an empty container of Nembutal that was numbered for 25 for some reason, when we know it was a prescription for 50. Um, there was 32 barbiturates that were unidentified in a container. There were 25 Phenergan capsules. There was no uh, second all, as he claimed. And there wasn't, there weren't enough, how do I word this, prescriptions to account for the amount of pills that were found in her body. Okay, I mean, so... There weren't enough um, pill containers and prescriptions <sighs> to account for as many drugs as she had in her. In her. Okay, so, um, and we just have a few minutes here to kind of uh, look at this. Is, um, David, what would be your speculation in regards to where did the rest of those pills come from? Well, we know that Marilyn had contacts with several doctors throughout uh, the Los Angeles area, and there's been speculation about the Mexico trip, too. But figure, the Mexico trip is back in February. But I do have a, a question for Marianne, uh, Mary Jane, because this is something I'm, I'm not really well versed in. So what you're talking about is uh, they have a list of everything that was on the nightstand. Is there any documentation of medication that was found in other rooms of the house? Well, the documentation of the medication is on the um, report of chemical analysis by the coroner. Uh, Mm -hmm. It doesn't specify if it was just where the drugs were. It just gives the list of the drugs that the police took into evidence. And and those were a total of eight, but yet um, Sergeant uh, Byron's report says that there were about 15 Okay, that so was either an estimate or they, they weren't all accounted for in the toxicology report where they're itemized. Okay, yeah. so, so when we start looking at this toxicology, this is why this is so important to the case because, um, you know, this really speaks to some of the holes that we're finding right now. We know for sure that Dr. Engelberg actually did prescribe lots of medications, let alone chloral hydrate. So that's an outright lie when he says that he did not prescribe that. So we know that for sure. There's also a hole right now because there's all this medication that she has in her system, and yet we can't account for it based on uh, all the pills that were actually by her bedside. Uh, with that said, guys, um, we're I can't believe it. We're coming to the end of our show here. David, uh, we didn't get to do, do go much further than we did in terms of this time frame but is there anything you'd like to add since you've been such a, a big part of the investigation of Marilyn? I, you know, the other things that I have to add really don't add to it. It was more of the, you know, Jeannie Carmen and, and that stuff. So basically, let's just say I think the folks on the show are doing a great deal. 
It is slow going, but it's extremely important. And what is most important is to try to get it down to the actual facts rather than uh, our own personal opinions or speculation. Exactly. And I think it's through the discussion that we have and we start to point out what is speculation and what is actual fact that we could start to break it down and know where the holes are. So when we do the real life investigation, actual investigation, look at these files and look at everything that, you know, so many of you have already been investigating, that we can really shed some light to some of these rumors. Well, this wraps up this week's show. I'd like to thank my guest, Gary Vitaco Robles, icon, the Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Leslie Kasperowitz, thanks again. Cannot do this show without you. Mary Jane Gray, of course, uh, your wonderful contribution and all your research. And David Marshall, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, your wonderful book called The DD Group, an online investigation into the death of Marilyn Monroe. Thank you, guys. Next week, uh, David won't be joining us, but the panel will be back. As you know, many of you know that the Lifetime movie, uh, this this is uh, airing this weekend, uh, and also a couple of documentaries as it relates to Marilyn's life. We will pick up where we left off uh, this week to next week, but we will also be looking at what is truth. What is fact? What is fiction? What's probable theory and outlandish rumor as it relates to what is going to be airing this weekend on Lifetime in the Secret Life of Marilyn Monroe? On that note, I'm Nina Bosky, thanking all of you for listening to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. Until next time, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. <music>